You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. That mission that Israel was about to do made no sense at all. And, and as, as Joshua considered God's commands to take Jericho, mind you, Joshua is still considered to be Israel's greatest general ever. He must have thought, no weapons? Uh, marching around the city, we're going to get destroyed. And, but he remembered back because he had seen God take Israel across the Jordan River. And so I'm sure in Joshua there was this battle of wills going on. And he he had to make a decision. He had to decide, would it be his will or would it be God's will? Because this is a military guy. If it was his will, he would strike He would come around and surprise them. He would use weapons. He would do it the normal military way. But if it was God's will, he could be a laughingstock. People might get killed. It doesn't make any sense. But we all have to decide that, don't we? My will or God's will? Because Joshua's dilemma is our dilemma. It's easy to do things our own way. It's easy to do things that we've done over and over again. We're used to that. We've got it down. But what if God calls us to more? And here's the thing. When, when we boldly step out into a new arena, God can really use us. He can use us to become kingdom builders so people get saved. So Richwood Church, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning that we can walk forward. We can illuminate our city with the love of Jesus Christ. We can follow God more deeply in our personal lives. But it will take bold faith. And each of us is going to have to say in our hearts, it has to be God's will. It has to be God's way not mine. And that's what we're going to learn this morning. So please take your Bibles if you would, and we're going to turn to the book of Joshua. This morning we find ourselves in Joshua 6, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And so Joshua in the Bible in the rack in front of you is located on page 181. It's way back in the Old Testament. Joshua 6 beginning in verse 1. You can now also use the, the app Study notes are there, media, study guides, and then to the date today. So while you're looking and getting that ready, here's where we are. Moses has died. Joshua is the new leader. He's appointed. He was the understudy. He was Moses' assistant. And God is going to use Joshua to bring Israel across into the promised land. But the people didn't know Joshua as well. They knew Moses. Moses took him across the Red Sea, so they had to trust God. And then we see that God just took Joshua inside and encouraged him with words like this. Be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so what happened? Israel crossed the Jordan on dry land because they obeyed God's will and not their own. And what we've learned 
in this series is that we can boldly follow God even when that river, like the Jordan, is a half a mile wide and overflowing its banks. And we've got two to three million people to get across. We have our own baggage to get across. We have our families to get across. We have our jobs. We have all this stuff. We can go across if we're willing to follow God's will. And then we've learned that we can boldly trust God because we can't see the other side. And there are certainly problems, and in this case, enemies waiting. And now it's time for Israel to conquer this fearsome city full of Canaanites. But the plan, the plan is crazy. The plan's illogical. It, it doesn't make any sense. It, it's kind of like people could look at Ridgewood and they could go, well, it's not, it's not logical for you to think that you can make this huge mark for Christ in the Twin Cities. I mean, you're surrounded by all these mega churches and maybe there's even some here that would say, well, it's illogical to even be doing this. I mean, we've got our family, we've got our friends, we've got all this thing. It's good. What are we taking this risk for? And what I would say is, the reason we're taking the risk is because we know biblically that every man, woman, and child needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or they will not escape the wrath of God that comes from sin. That's why we're doing this. The stakes are high. The risk is great. The inconvenience is there. But we're doing it because God is calling us to do it. And so we're boldly risking all of this because we know there's a heaven, we know there's a hell, we know that Jesus is the only way, and it's God's will that matters. So, here we go. Joshua, what an amazing leader. And you know, the thing about Joshua is that he is also an amazing follower. The best leaders are the best followers, too. And he has this command from God. Look at verse 1. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. That just simply means this. They're terrified. They know Israel's coming. So they locked the place up. Nothing was going in or out. It was a tightly secured fortress. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So here's the first point I want to make to you this morning. As we lean into the future that God has for our church, and we trade our will for His, we can trust that God's will is real and it is trustworthy. His will, His plans, man, we can trust them. If we, if we look at verse 2, I have given Jericho into your hands. The Hebrew verb there is a prophetic perfect, which describes a future action that has already happened. In other words, God has declared it. It's done. But Joshua had to believe that. And, and, and this, of course, doesn't, it doesn't, you know, say that illuminate's going to go perfectly well and we're going to get everything we want and it's all going to be easy, but I think what we are seeing here is we are seeing when we're walking into the will of God like Israel was, God had promised them the, 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 the land and they were, they were going into the land and God has called us 
to reach the world for Jesus. And so we know that in God's heart, he wants to, to reach the world for Jesus. And so that when we step into that will, we can be very, very confident that he's going to be with us. Which doesn't mean he's not going to steer us around a little bit. No, nope, over here. No, nope, over here. But we can be confident. And I want to show you a couple of passages that help us with that. First Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see God's heart here? Desires that all be saved. And many times we, 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 we launch out and we think, well, this is going to be really hard because I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to talk to people at work. I don't, I don't know how to talk to my neighbor, you know? Like, I feel more comfortable when the lawnmowers are running, and I give them a wave, and I feel like I've done my job for the day. But here's the thing. We're not doing this ourselves. Jesus promised, as he sent us out in the Great Commission, that he would never leave our sides. I mean, we don't quote this part of the Great Commission enough. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so as we're taking these risks and as we're marching forward, we never have to doubt that God is with us. And as we set out to, to restore our building and grow our budget, we know that the heart of God beats with our heart, which is to reach the world for Christ, to reach our community for Christ, to reach our friends for Christ, to reach our neighbors for Christ. And Joshua and Israel were just about to discover that God's will and plans are trustworthy, but they're weird sometimes. Now, um, the Hebrew word here, when Joshua saw this plan, would be, yikes! You've got to be kidding me! That's a paraphrase. It's a strange plan. Look at verses 3 through 7. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days seven priests, shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Verse 5, And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all of the people shall shout with a great shout, the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every one straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests, said to them, Okay, take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So here's my guess, given that Joshua is this military guy that he was used to giving orders like, fall in line, get your weapons ready. We're going to surround this way, and when you hear this, we're going to attack that way. And instead, the plan is to walk around the city and shout a lot and blow trumpets. But there's no hesitation. Joshua says, okay, that's the plan. We're going to go do that now. That takes bold faith. That takes a will to put Joshua's knowledge 
and all of his training aside and trusting God. And so here's what we learned from Joshua's actions here, that we can really rely totally on God's power. Joshua, do you see he had to rely totally on God? He wasn't bringing anything to this except his obedience as a leader. And so we have to do the same. And I want to just give you a a little glimpse here of an image of Jericho that might help you just see what they were up against. Over here on your right is an actual um, picture of the wall at Jericho that exists now on the West Bank. And the problem is it's very hard to get down to the real wall of this narrative because Jericho is the oldest inhabited city in the world, 7,000 years old. And it has some 34 walls representative of all the different cultures and people that have lived there. But archaeologists have found enough to do a mock-up like this. And so you can see that the city is very well fortified. Now, it's not huge by our standards. It's about the size of if you went to Target Field and that property right around Target Field and, and the stadium, it would be about like that. Or another way to look at it would be you could take that massive roof over U.S. Bank Stadium and you could almost get it over this city. It took Israel about 30 minutes to walk around. But here was the problem. The walls and the people. The walls were thick, four to six feet thick. That's thick. And they were 12 to 17 feet high. And the people that lived here were not nice people. They were, they, were, they were pagan, they were nasty, they were ruthless. So Joshua would have to trust, he would need to exercise his faith, he would have to lay down everything he thought to be true and believe. And I've, I've seen God do things in my life. The longer you walk with God, the more you can trust because you see God continuing to do these miracles But then it's always about the next step of faith and the next bold moment of trust. But here's the thing. We can't let risk or inconvenience stop us from our mission because there are men and women that are going to hell without Christ. That's what we need to be concerned about. That's what we're doing here, because Jesus is the only way. In Romans, Paul made this really clear. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, but only through Christ, not through another religious system, not through being a good churchgoer, but through Christ. The Bible also says to us, who's, who's going to tell them unless we do. Who, how are they going to know unless someone preaches to them? It's our mission. So if we really believe that truth, then we can lean into what God has for us to make Jesus known, to grow our budget, and to restore our building because that's what God is calling us to do, to make a mark on our city. So, again, just to reiterate, I keep using this image because because I'm not smart enough to go find all of the other images that are somewhere around the church. Did you enjoy coming in the North Door today? Wasn't that great? Don't get used to it, because they're going to build this next. 
and we'll probably have to close that door again. But here's the thing. We want this, we want this exterior to be attractive. And, and we want a family to come up and say, wow, that would be a good place for my kids. Yeah, it, it looks clean. It, it looks great. Let's go there. Let's try that. And, and I, yeah, I could send my kid to preschool there. It looks clean. It looks modern. So we want to do that on the exterior. And, and we, want, we want this parking lot to, to be safe and well lit. There are new lights coming. How many of you have gone to Ridgewood for years and have stumbled around in the dark for a long time? I've already made a decision. When the lights get put up here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to get a tan. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do the foil. So if you see that happening, don't give it a second thought. But I'm excited about that. We're going to have a new sign down by 101. It's going to speak of modern and, 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 and eye-catching and then this lighted cross and canopy. On the inside, that open lobby, you're starting to get a feel for that now a little bit. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be open. It's going to have splashes of paint and graphics. It's going to be, have a, a, a new cafe area that's going to be really nice. And then, of course, we're going to have bathrooms that are usable for those with disabilities that can get in around those, clean, and clean and safe children and student areas. And a new elevator that we can actually use for wheelchairs and others that need to get around. And then there's the part about the budget. You know, the, it's not just about the building. It's about growing our resources. It's about doing more Bailey Hangays. It's about developing leaders and sending them out. It's about having the money to start a preschool, for example, where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids can come and learn about Jesus Christ and you get Christians when they're kids, by far the highest ratio. I want, these lamps aren't enough. They're great. They're not growing fast enough. So we have to create that. We have to move out and try that. And, and then I'm, I, I talk about church planning, and people go like, why do you talk about church planning? Because church planning's very hard. Even the best church planners have a 50-50 shot. But here's why it's important. It's because a new church by far has the highest rate of new believers. Church planning is the best evangelism tool known to Christians. <laughs> That's why Paul went all over the ancient world planting churches. So we need to multiply, but it's hard. And, 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 and you know, our executive pastor, Walt, has a meeting today with somebody that's interested in a partner. I've got a meeting this week with somebody who's interested in partnering on a plant. So you could pray for that. But this is all part of the, the vision. Can you imagine one day, if you've ever looked at Google Maps, and they have that in heaven, and it's your turn at the Internet Cafe, and you sit down, and you type in Church Plants Ridgewood Church. Can you imagine looking down, and what if there were 20, 30, 40 red dots all gospel-centered churches, all replanting, all bringing people to Jesus, all being true to the word when the world is falling apart. That's why church planting matters. That's, that's the part of this mission I need to get across to you. It's not just about the building. And none of this is for our own comfort. I mean, it's not for us. And it's for the people that we believe need Jesus Christ. So we want to build on our past. We want, to, we want to leave a place where leaders can jump off in the future. Because it's God's will and not ours that wins the day. 
So Joshua needed to do that. He needed to trust God, even though the plan, humanly speaking, sounded crazy, and he did. He defied logic. He put aside his training, and what we learned from what happens next is that trading in our will for God's will means complete and total victory. So if we look what happens next in 15 and 16, on the seventh day, they rose early. At the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It had been six before. It was, the only, it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And if you look down at 20, and then, this is the obedience part. So the people shouted. And trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. Six feet thick. Seventeen feet high. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. That's an amazing narrative. Everything was destroyed except for one person and her family. Back in verse 2, when the spies went out to see what was going on in Jericho, they ran into a prostitute named Rahab. You know the story. She helped them escape. And then they promised her, we're not going to touch you. So in 17, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. I find it interesting. It's not the village priest. It's not the, you know, the head of the Kiwanis Club or the Lions Club. It's a prostitute. But she was willing to trust. She was willing to trade her will in, and she saved those spies. And the important thing here is how the battle was won, because by human standards, it was a terrible plan. But Joshua obeyed, the people obeyed, the fortified city fell, it burned to the ground, and not one arrow was fired. Because God did it. So we see just this bold obedience of a man that trusted God. And I, I personally do think it illuminates a good plan. The, the board has wrestled with it and come up with a really good plan, but at the end of the day, it's God's will that's going to get it done. It's God's power that's going to win the day. So here's the next point I want to leave with you, and, and, and I hope this helps you, is that submitting to God's will, it takes bold faith, not just when we're talking about the church, but in your own daily life. And here's what I find in my life. I find that the big things are easier to have faith about than the little things. Does that make any sense? So, for example, I want to control my children. You're all laughing already. Like, yeah, good luck. But the problem is, they're not my children. They're God's children, and he has a plan for them, and they're going to have to suffer. They're going to have to make mistakes. They're going to have to do things that God can use to weave them together. And if I try to control them, I will thwart that. So I have to release them. Guide them and release them. I want to control my finances. 
I want to know where the next paycheck's coming from. I want to know where I'm going to be in 20 years. I want to be at Key West. God hasn't confirmed that yet. But God has a different destination for my finances than I do, most likely. I want to control all my circumstances. I want to live in a safe place. I want my kids to go to the right schools. I want to have friends that are familiar. But God is calling me every day to give it up. Give it up. See, you know what's, you know what's wrong with the prosperity gospel? Is that the prosperity gospel teaches that we're enhancing ourselves as we go about the Christian life. When in reality, the Christian life is about giving stuff up constantly. Because when we give stuff up, what do we get more of? We get more of Christ. We gain faith. And that's what Joshua was doing here. Put aside all of his military training. It has to be God's will, not mine. We have to walk on the cliff of uncertainty. And Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he told them, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to, to put your will aside, you're going to become sacrificial and beneficial people. This is 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So here's what Paul is saying in a nutshell, that when we give ourselves up to God, we tune into his will and we become submissive, generous, and sacrificial because the money, the resources he gives us is not for us. I know, it's not American. It's for others. It's for his kingdom. Now, do we have to work? Yeah. Do we need a house? Yeah, we need, we need stuff, but... I'm just saying, and, and again, there's, no, and there's no, nothing wrong with being rich. I mean, the people that have money are most of the time, they have, they're incredibly generous. But here's what I am saying. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the will. And, and in Proverbs, it makes it really clear that um, we are to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a challenge there, but there's also a promise there too. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, and then what happens? Then God will give back. And so a question I have for you this morning is, are you doing this? Am I doing this? Am I honoring God with my wealth? And I'm asking you this morning to prayerfully submit to God in the area of finances. And I know it looks different for different people. It's very personal. And for Wendy and me, we've gone on this journey over the last year. And we made this pledge that we kind of looked at each other like the number was there. But the how really isn't. And so we're trusting that God will help us. And now we feel this tug to increase our pledge. And the only way we can do that is if God helps us. Because we're being led to commit more than we can afford because we want to trust God. We want to trust in a major way. And God wants Ridgewood Church to do His will because we don't have fortified cities anymore, but we do have strongholds of the enemy. 
And there are people who are trapped for eternity in the strongholds of the enemy. And somebody needs to take those cities down. So why wouldn't it be us? We love God. We have resources to do that. But we have to do it together. And I, and I know that the vast majority of you want this illuminate thing to happen. I went back and looked and remembered that meeting we had to increase the budget to do all of this, and it was 96 to 22 in favor. But now we need to make it happen. And God has provided $3 million in pledges, if not more, that I don't know about now. But we need to pay off our construction loan as soon as we can. We need to continue to grow our total budget, and to do that, we're going to have to work together. Now, when you come next week, you're going to find in your pews pledge cards because we're going, to, we're going to fill those out and give together next week. But you can give early. Remember when we first started this process, we did that early commitment night, and the leaders came and said, we're all in? You can give early. We'd love it to set the tone. Those boxes in the back are super confidential. I don't, am not going to know who gives at all. So if you've already pledged, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for pledging, but I'm going to ask you, will you give just a bit more? If you haven't pledged yet, will you pray about your involvement? What could God be calling you to do? And how could you help move the kingdom forward? All of these are hard decisions. You know, Joshua, he had some hard decisions to make. He was standing there getting offered this ridiculous plan and he had to decide who am I going to follow? My instincts? Am I going to follow the way I've learned to do things? Or am I going to follow God? And thankfully he followed God because he did. Israel went to the promised land. Jesus came from that line and is the Savior of the world. So, Ridgewood Church, can we all together be able to say it has to be God's will? Not mine, but we're submitted to God. Let me pray, and then we're going to worship together for a moment. God, these are personal, difficult decisions to make. And all of us are in different places. All of us have different issues. All of us are facing different challenges. But I do know one thing. You, you desire that people come to know you. And that doesn't happen just by accident. You've called us to go out and reach the world, to make disciples of all nations. And we want to follow that lead. And we want to be true to our forefathers. And we want our, our building to work well. And we want... We just want to serve you and walk with you. So God, will you give us the bold obedience that we'll take and the submissiveness that we'll take and the prayer for humility that that will take because we want to glorify your name around this world. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.